Amen. Well, you may be seated. And yeah, I get to bring the message this morning, which is pretty cool. I always enjoy that. Very fun stuff. And I do want to give a shout out right now to my family who's at home because my son has a little bit of a cough and didn't want to share that with everybody. So Jack and Elise, good morning. And everybody else who's online as well. And my wife, I should probably mention her too. She's there. Okay. Um, So this morning, we are going to start off our brand new series, The Thrill of Hope. And this series should be pretty fun. First of all, because it's Christmas. Obviously, we all, I don't know, maybe you don't, but I do. I love Christmas. I love hearing the Christmas songs, singing Christmas songs, things like that. Um, I know that's not everybody's forte, but it is Christmas season, so just humor us, okay, the rest of us. Now, we are in the thrill of hope. And of course, when we look at hope, we have to understand that it's something, hope is one of those things, it's kind of like patience. Like, everybody wants to have it, nobody ever wants to have to need it, right? You never want to be in a situation where you need hope, because that means that things are rough. Never want the same thing as with patience, right? But we do, we need hope. We need to have hope because, well, first of all, if we don't have hope, we will go around hopeless, and that, that's a very bad situation, that's a very depressing situation, but also hope is very intricately tied in with faith. And of course, we, Christianity is, is not a religion based on works, as most religions are. Instead, Christianity is a religion that is based on faith, and faith and hope are intrinsically tied together. In fact, um, and we've got, I think we'll have it on the screen here, uh, Hebrews 11 verse 1 gives us... Uh, it talks about this. It talks about how, what faith is exactly. And faith, is it going to come up? Okay. Well, the assurance of what is hoped for um, and the certainty of what is unseen is what faith is. So if faith is to be sure of what is hoped for, then hope itself seems to be coming from faith. We can't have one without the other. And that means that it's going to be very important. And especially in these times, things are, I would say that things are, are getting better in certain senses, but things are also getting worse in certain senses within this world. And I don't know about your life, but things are up and down in mine. Sometimes one week it's great, and the next week it's a little rough, right? And hope and faith are what keep us constant in the midst of that. And we're going to look at somebody in particular who struggled with a sense of hopelessness and yet found victory found hope in the midst of it. And we're going to look at that. So we're actually going to look at Luke chapter 1, starting in verse 5. Um, so if you open in your Bibles to that, we're going to be talking about that um, and, and reading the story of a guy named Zechariah. Now, actually, as I was studying this, um, I, I kept getting tripped up because when I look him up, depending on what translation you have, his name is either Zechariah or Zacharias. Um, and it, was, it kept throwing me off because I'd search for Zechariah because the translation that I primarily use is ESV and it's Zechariah, but some of the older translations use Zacharias. One's Greek, the other's Hebrew. Just know that. It's the same dude, okay? So I'm going to call him Zechariah. If you will bear with me if that, if you have an older translation, that's perfectly fine. It'll say Zacharias. So, um, so what we're going to do is we're going to read this together. If you would, if you're able, would you stand with us? It's going to be a little bit of a, a marathon here, so... Stretch maybe a little bit before you stand. But we're going to be reading verses 5 through verse 25. Here's what it says. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron. And her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as priest before God, 
when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer pardon, has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine of strong, or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the disobedient to, sorry, the, disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I, sent, I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them. And they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he kept making signs to them and remaining mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my repro reproach among the people. You can all be seated here. Now, that doesn't actually finish up the story. Um, the rest of the story continues on later uh, in this chapter. But we're going to focus on these pieces right here. And with Zechariah in particular. And the things, that, the things that he did, the things that he was doing, and how he found hope. Now, as we mentioned, hope comes from faith. Therefore, it is to be sure of what you hope for. That's what, that's what faith is. is to be sure of what you hope for. And we see that in Zechariah. In particular, it's like it mentions, he was a priest. Now, he was a priest at a very hard time for Israel. This time was a time of silence. In particular, this silence first had to do with Israel itself. Now, if you've read through your whole Bible, you know that the last book in the Old Testament is Malachi. And Malachi took place somewhere around 400 years, was written sometimes about 400 years before the, book, uh, the events of the book of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, Okay. So you need to know that there is a gap of silence when prophecy, when that direct speaking of God with his people was not there. See, from the time of Abraham all the way up until Malachi, you had the, in almost every single generation, the Lord God would speak with the people of Israel directly. He would have usually a prophet or um, a, a leader of the, the people of Israel who he would speak directly with and would communicate to them the expectations, would communicate to them, especially with Moses, the laws and the instructions for his people. He would guide them as he did with David. David was a person who obviously was very close with God, and God spoke directly to him, even though David wasn't a priest. And he did that continuing through the prophets with Elijah and Elisha, uh, along with Micah and Jonah and all these different prophets, all the way down to Malachi. And then at the end of Malachi, there is a silence. And for 400 years, 
You imagine how many generations that would be. God doesn't speak directly with his people. Now, it doesn't mean to say that God wasn't with his people. Certainly not. And we do see even throughout that time of history that God did intervene on behalf of his people. But there was a silence there. You imagine what that would be like as a people that God had set aside as, these are my people, these are my children. And now, no communication for that time. Now, Zechariah was a priest. He was in the temple about, about twice a year and about a week at a time. And he would go and it would serve within the temple and do his different things. And like it says, by lot, that means basically by kind of the roll of a dice, but they would trust that God would guide this. Not that it was a chance encounter, right? When, when we play games with dice, right, it's just like, okay, well, there's just odds behind it. But they would trust that as, this, as they cast lots, that the name that would come out first would be the one who would go into the temple and offer the sacrifice, or in this case, this incense. Um, same thing happened with Jonah. If you've ever read the story of Jonah, you know, they said, okay, who's going to be the one that we're going to kick out of the boat? First name that comes out, and lo and behold, it was Jonah, right? So we know that God works through this, this activity, um, in particular with the priests. And so Zechariah gets picked. So he goes in. Now the thing is, Zechariah was an old man. He had been doing this for years and years and years. It says that his wife was from the line of Aaron. If he was a priest, that means that he was as well. He was born into this. And he served faithfully as well, as well. It says that he and his wife were righteous before the Lord. And we know from the book of Hebrews that those who were counted righteous were righteous based upon their faithfulness to the Lord, right? They had faith in the Lord, and that faith produced an action for which they would follow the Lord. Now, that, that silence with Israel parallels another silence, and that is the silence with him himself. And that silence is, he had been praying for years and years. They were childless. He came from this great lineage of the priests, right? From Aaron himself. And yet he had nobody to pass that on to. And of course, as much as, as, much as we see children as an amazing blessing and an opportunity to, to pour forth our faith to them and hand it off to them, as much as that is true today, even more so then, because your child was your name. They were the one who carried you on. Yes, we have that in a sense nowadays, but back then so much more. Who you were was represented. The entirety of who you were was represented in your children. And so to not have an heir was to mean that who you were ended right there. That name didn't get carried on. And so that was, like, like Elizabeth said, it was a reproach. People would look down on you for it. Well, uh, it's obviously you've, you've done something wrong. Or obviously, you know, God is keeping his hand from you. Obviously, there's some sort of issue in your life that, that God would put this reproach before you. We see that's actually not true here. Something different happens. Now, I want to look at a couple of scriptures. In particular, we're going to look first at uh, Micah. Or sorry, not Micah, Malachi. Because I do want to look at that last scripture because that last, the last little bit of Malachi and this scripture here, the beginning of Luke, connect one to the other. And we see in one moment the silence of Israel and the silence within Zechariah's life are ended at this exact same time. It's really cool. So we're going to look at Malachi, uh, yeah, Malachi and it's going to be Malachi 4 and verse 5. And I think we might have it here. Yes, we do. Good. So we'll just go right here. 
It says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. Now I want to look at this next scripture here that's from Luke in Luke 1.17. And it says this, Behold, I will send... That's, that's a copy. I didn't put that in there right. But that's okay. What it says here is, and I'll just read it for you. See, this is, I don't like slides, and I've been telling people that all week long. I don't use slides with middle schoolers. Obviously, it's also because I'm not very good at them. Um, And it says, and he will go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, the disobedient of the wisdom disobedient to the wisdom of the just and make ready for the Lord his people prepared, which is almost a direct quote right there. We see that the angel Gabriel is connecting one thing to another. He's saying both at this moment, you are going to fulfill the prophecy of Malachi and obviously God is speaking to the people of Israel. God ends his silence with Israel. But at the same time, this is your son. This is for you as well. And we see that the silent, silence ends with Gabriel proclaiming the arrival of this prophet as he also proclaims the arrival of a son for Zechariah. Now, know that when we talk about this, about, about um, Elijah, and what it's speaking of, it's not saying that John the Baptist was himself Elijah, reincarnated. Because, first of all, as Christians, the Bible doesn't, it, it doesn't speak that, to say that Reincarnation is correct. In fact, it denies that in several places. So if this isn't reincarnation, what is this? And I want to clarify this really quick because it's easy to stumble over these passages and say, well, does that mean that, why'd they name him John then? Why not Elijah if he's just Elijah? It doesn't mean that Elijah was reincarnated here, but it's talking about in the spirit of Elijah and who he was and what he did. Elijah is considered one of the greatest prophets to ever proclaim the word of the Lord before his people. And what did he do? Just what it says right here. He went before, before the people to turn the hearts of the father to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of, of the just. And he made way the ready, the people, before the Lord. That's what John the Baptist would do as well. And Jesus refers to this as well, talking about John the Baptist. So know that John the Baptist was not Elijah, but he came in the spirit of Elijah, as it's spoken of in that scripture. So from there... We look at, okay, so how does this work? How is, we, obviously we can see there's hope here, but you've got to realize that this hope doesn't come just constantly. This hope came at the end of a long struggle, a very long struggle, 400 years of struggle here. And, and you can only imagine with the priests and the way that they would go into the temple regularly, and they would, they would go before the Lord, and they would wait for God to speak. Wait for a vision, just like their forefathers had done before. And week after week, month after month, year after year, generation after generation, nothing. Nothing. And Zechariah is at the end of 400 years of this. It's not like Zechariah, when he was a child, had heard the voice of the Lord in the temple and he had that to to call back upon. It's not like his father had heard the voice of God in the temple. It's not like his grandfather, his great-grandfather. No, there was nobody that he had ever known who had heard the voice of the Lord in the temple. There was nobody, he himself had certainly never heard it up until this point. So how in the world does Zechariah go into that temple faithfully 
and serve the Lord? It was because he trusted him. He had faith. And that's what we need to understand. When we look at this, when we look at scriptures, we see a lot of times when we, we want to put ourselves in, in that situation, we say, yeah, God's going to be faithful. God's, God's going to do this right here, right now. Because I see it. It happened with Zechariah. Yeah, when he was an old man. God didn't do this. He didn't speak to Zechariah when he was just fresh and green and, and oh man, I'm ready, I'm roaring, I'm, I want to go into this temple, I want to go before the Lord. I'm sure there was that moment for Zechariah when he was young and he was excited about going into the temple. And this is my, maybe I'm the one that God's going to speak to. And for who knows how many years, 30, 40, maybe 50 years, he's in the temple serving nothing. Not a single person that he knows has heard from the Lord. That is what we can recognize here. That Zechariah was not, was not given this word from the Lord because God was just suddenly tr- saying, hey, I'm going to give this guy a little bit of confidence here. Let's help him out. No. Zechariah was given the word of the Lord as he was already being faithful. As he had continued to be faithful for years and years, for decades. As the people of God had continued to be faithful. You notice that he's serving in a a role that had been continued from the years past. This wasn't brand new. They didn't suddenly decide, well, let's make a temple today and maybe God will start talking to us. No, this had been around for a long time. They had rebuilt the temple and they waited and they waited and they waited and they were faithful. And Zechariah, he was considered righteous. That means that he was faithful as well to say, I'm gonna trust God no matter what. I'm gonna continue. And he trusted God to the point that he prayed for relief in this other part of his life as well. He was childless. So we see that Zechariah's story, it actually parallels, it, it's interesting because it does parallel a lot of other stories, and I've got these right here as well. So there are, there are several of them. The first one would be Abraham and Sarah, and we recognize that Abraham and Sarah had the same issue, right? That God says, you're going to be a great and mighty people, and Abraham's like, that's, that's awesome. Also, I'm really old, um, and so is my wife. Well, how's this going to work? Trust me. And we do know that Abraham screwed up. He did. But in the end, he did trust God through this. He did. And so what did, what did God give them? He gave them Isaac, the beginning of that great nation, right? And then we can look to the next, another example. And these are all throughout the Bible. Isaac and Rebekah. Oh, yeah, that guy that, the, the child that he gave to Abraham and Isaac. Well, guess what? They struggled with, with that as well, with that barrenness as well. And they prayed to the Lord. And what did God do through them? He gave them Jacob, Jacob and Esau, but Jacob in particular being the father of the tribes of Israel, the one who Israel itself would be named after. His name was changed to Israel, and that's what the country itself, that nationality itself, that people itself was named after. And then we look at another one. We've got Jacob and Rachel. Well, guess what? They're kids. Jacob and Rachel, Rachel in particular who struggled with barrenness. And what did God give to them? Gave to them Joseph who would rescue Israel and all of his people. And then we've got another one, Manoah and his wife, Samson, in case you, you've ever read the book, of, or you've ever, not the book, the book of Judges with Samson's in there, and it talks about how Samson was given to uh, Manoah's wife as she was barren. But again, we see a great purpose in his life. He would rescue the people of Israel from the Philistines. And another one, Elkanah and Hannah. Hannah was barren, and, and she was crying out to the Lord. You can see her desperation, and God gives her a son, Samuel, who would be dedicated to serving the Lord. 
would be raised in the temple and become the anointer of the first kings of Israel. See, here's the thing. You notice the, you'll notice the similarity. One, you see that God is withholding a blessing, right? Because children are a blessing, he, and God is withholding that from these people. And then what happens? They pray to God. And that is a form of faithfulness, because to pray is to trust. A lot of us think that, that prayer is this aspect of like, well, I, I ask God for things, and then he either gives them to me or he doesn't, and that's prayer. And I guess, yeah, in a very super simplified form, that's prayer, but that's not what prayer really is or what it's about. Prayer is about humility. Prayer is me recognizing that I cannot provide these things for myself. In fact, I can't truly provide anything for myself. Without God, I am nothing. Therefore, I have to go before God. I have to go and humble myself enough to say that, God, you're the only one who can provide for me, and I'm going to trust that whatever answer you do give is going to be the right one, regardless of what I ask for. But God, I do ask for these things, hoping that that is the best good, that that is in line with your will, expecting that as I come closer to who Jesus is, as I grow closer to him, that I will grow closer to his will and his desires as well. And my desires will line up with his. And then God can, can give me those things that are good, that are the things that he wants to give me. Kind of like a, a parent, have, have you ever had this where you want to give your kids something? And I, this happens to me actually quite a bit. My, uh, my kids, in particular my son Jack, um, he, he loves all kinds of things. He loves getting things, um, which is fine, it's okay. Uh, but sometimes he really wants to get things. Well, when he really wants to get things, sometimes he'll go and get them himself. And that's called stealing. So we don't like that. Now, the wonderful thing is, Jack actually has, has he, this was more of a, an issue when he was younger, and he didn't really understand very well. He's just like, I see it. It's there. I take it. It's mine. That's not really, we know that's not how it works. But he didn't. Now, he does now. He understands now, thankfully. And he doesn't struggle with this as much. But it's one of those things where it's like, I want to give this thing to you. You want. I remember there was one time we had this awesome video of him we, we used to live in a house where you could actually, there was a door on the pantry, and you could step inside of it. Not that you'd want to, because you'd close the door, and it would be dark, and you'd be, that'd be it. But for a little, little, well, he was like one and a half, he loved marshmallows. Honestly, we loved giving him marshmallows. We did, because he was so cute with them. You just like, oh, you pop them in his mouth, and he, would, he loves just stuff in his mouth. Well, while we loved giving him marshmallows, he knew where they were. And so he'd go into the pantry, and I remember there's, we have this one video. He, we walk in the, the kitchen, and we can hear a noise in the pantry. The door is closed on the pantry, okay? We hear this noise, and then he opens the door of the pantry, and he walks out with an entire bag of marshmallows, and he's just popping them in his mouth, just walking out. Here we go. This is what I'm doing now. Now, truthfully, we were, we were smiling and laughing so much that we, we couldn't really reprimand him in that moment because, like, okay, no, you can't do this while you're laughing at him at the same time. But at the same time, we do recognize that this, this is something I would love to give for him. If he asked for me for a marshmallow, sure, I'd give him a marshmallow. Because I love to give my son a good, good things, just as God loves to give us good things. But when we try to go about getting them in our own way, and we take them for ourselves, God may withhold those things. Just as Abraham, remember, with... with um, Oh, man, I'm forgetting her name all of a sudden. Um, thank you, Hagar. I don't know who that was, but thank you so much. My, my mind was drawn a blank. Good job reading your Bible. That was really good. 
so with Hagar, he, he tries to do it his own way. And God's like, nope, you're going to have to wait. It's going to be a little while longer now, right? Same thing, the Israelites come before the, land, the, the promised land. And they go in and they say, there's milk and honey, but there's also giants. And God's like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. And they're like, no, 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 there's no way we can handle it. And God's like, oh, you. Okay, well, then we'll remove you from the issue. And you're going to wait 40 years. All of you who were saying we can't handle it, you're going to be gone. Your kids will get to take over this place. See, it's not that God doesn't want to give you good things. He wants you to trust him as he gives you good things, not take them for yourself. And we see that, that trust in God with Zechariah. He is trusting that God will be faithful. He's praying for a son. And guess what? That was what God wanted to give him in that moment. And God wanted to give him that for a long time. But he was, he, he was expecting Zechariah to be faithful even when he wasn't given those things. And that's the challenge. It's not that it's the joyful times that we want, but it's the challenging times. It's the struggle where we prove, where we show God that we really trust him. It's easy to trust when things are going good. It's easy to have hope. It's not really hope when everything's going your way. There's no hope there, right? Hope is when things aren't going your way, and yet you trust that God is in control anyway. So there is this hope for an answered prayer. That's what Zechariah has. He has this hope for an answered prayer. Zechariah, now here's the thing. What's interesting is Gabriel comes in and says, you're going to have a son. And he's going to be this, this great and mighty man, and he's going to prepare the way for the people. And then Zechariah is like, how do I know for sure? The guy who's been praying for years that God would answer a prayer suddenly begins to doubt right in that moment. Now, I'm not sure why. It, the Bible doesn't go into a lot of detail about what was going through his mind. But you can see the response. That Gabriel's like, you're doubting me. Gabriel, the guy who stands before the Lord God Almighty and his very, in his throne room, you're going to doubt this? The thing you've been praying for for years? All of a sudden, you're going to say, prove it. And so he basically says, okay, here's your sign. You're not going to get to speak until the baby's given his name. And somehow you've got to come up with telling people what his name's going to be. Because Gabriel didn't give him that instruction anyway. He just either. He just said, you're going to name him John. Also, you're not going to be able to speak. Good luck. He didn't, he didn't explain it. He wasn't like, so anyway, you're going to have to learn sign language. or You know, he was just like, here you go. And so Zechariah continued to have to trust in the Lord. He continued to have to, and I can tell you, if that happened to me, I'd be like, okay, I trust. I trust. I got it. Okay, we're going. We're good. We're good, God. Although I wouldn't say it because I'd be mute like Zechariah, obviously. So we have to trust in God. When he begins to answer our prayer, we can't we have to be looking for it, first of all. But also, in the midst, while we're waiting for him to answer our prayer, we can't, allow, we can't allow that difficulty to, to make us cynical. Because that's what, that's what can happen very easily. And I think that's, in some ways, what happened to Zechariah. Over the years, he waited, he waited, he waited. And while, yes, he went to God over and over, at a certain point, he started to say, this is, just isn't going to happen. And so when finally God says in like the biggest, boldest way possible, he's literally in the temple, right? And God meets with him through the, the angel Gabriel. He was, 
his, he become cynical to this. And he doubted in that moment. Now, it wasn't that God just threw him out. Okay, well, guess not you. Where's the next, next priest? Bring him up. We're going to give him a kid. No, he was, no, we're, this man has shown his, his righteousness. He has been faithful. He struggled in this moment. Here's your sign, and here's a quick little lesson to remain faithful, but this is going to be the guy. And he goes home, and I find it very interesting that Elizabeth kept things quiet. She, she held on to this for herself for a while and just reveled in it. But then we recognize that hope in the midst of silence is very important because he has a purpose for the silence. And that's really what we recognize through this. It wasn't that the silence was there just to, just to test Zechariah and his wife. It wasn't just to cause an issue with him. It, that, that doesn't make sense. That's not God's nature. Instead, what it was is there was a purpose to this. We saw it with all those other barren wombs as well throughout Scripture. There was a purpose to each and every one of them. They had a great purpose. And you notice that the large majority of them were set aside specifically for God. Like, think of, in particular, I think of Samuel, where it's like, when the kid is old enough to, to eat on his own, he's going to the temple, and that's where he's going to live the rest of his life. Whoa. Yeah, you're going to have a kid, but he's going to belong to God. And that's that. And what's crazy, maybe not crazy, what's amazing is that Hannah, in that situation, reveled in that, that God would bless me with a son who would be dedicated to him alone. That's a blessing. See, we have to recognize that, that there is a purpose for when there are times of silence, when there are times of difficulty. God is using that for a purpose. Know that it's not your purpose. It's his purpose. As soon as it becomes your purpose, it's worthless, truthfully. Because only God's purpose is the one worth pursuing. Because only he can see, can sift out time itself and say, yes, ultimately this will have a great impact. will glorify him. It's like the man born blind. We know this passage from scripture. And I think I have the, the passage up here. And the man born blind, John 9, 3, Jesus says, they were asking like, well, what did he do? Did his parents sin? Did he sin? Why was he born blind? And Jesus said, no, no, no. It was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. Your greatest difficulty might be meant as a great victory to come that will give glory to God. The question is, will you continue to give glory to God while you wait upon it? And an even harder question, will you continue to give glory to God if you never see it? And I, th- I think that this is the hardest question for anybody in here, because there were generations before Zechariah who never heard a word from the Lord. People who died, who served their entire lives in the temple, who certainly, I'm sure that there were, there were some righteous men who served there. And they never heard the word of the Lord. They may have prayed earnestly for that, for a blessing from God. They certainly didn't receive this particular blessing. See, all of us want to put ourselves in this moment, in the great moment, in the best moments. We want to, say, we want to see ourselves as, as we're like Zechariah. We're like, we're like Abraham and Isaac, 
right? And, and God's going to make a great and mighty people, and, and I'm going to be a big part of this, and he's going to give me what I need to be this great and mighty part of it. But what if you're not Abraham? What if you're not Zechariah? What if that's not meant for you? What then? Is God unfaithful? Is God no longer good? Was God not good those 400 years up until that point? No, that's not, it's not the situation. Rather, God is good, but he sees beyond that, and he knows even better than we do. So the question for the one who's, whose friend who is struggling with, with the disease and dies in that disease, God is still faithful. For the person who is, is praying for the family member to receive Christ, and you never see that happen, certainly not personally. God is still faithful. Know that. For the, for the, the one who, who you struggle with in whatever workplace, and God, give me this resolution, and you never truly find a resolution there, no matter what you do. God is still faithful. The truth is, that we can't put ourselves in a place that we don't belong. Zechariah belonged there, and God knew that. We have to trust that the position that God is going to put us in, the place that God is going to put us in, is the right one, no matter whether we get our, our prayers answered the way we like or not. Remember, prayer is humility before God. It's saying, I can't provide this. And it's also saying, if God doesn't provide this, then it's better that I don't have it. And that's hard but we trust. And I'm going to show you how to trust in the Lord in the midst of these difficulties. There are a few things. And we see, because remember, that was Zechariah's story up until this very moment. It was the exact same for Zechariah up until this moment. Here's how to strengthen your hope in the midst of a silent or difficult time. First, remain faithful to your calling. Remain faithful to your calling. Whatever it is that God has called you to, be faithful in it. There's a reason I, I dragged a guitar up here. This guitar was given to me by my parents when I was like 18 or 19. And my dad said to me, he said, okay, I bought this guitar for you. And you can have it so long as you use it to serve the Lord. That's the rule. Because my, my father is a great man of God. He continues to serve the Lord faithfully. And he knows how important that is. Now, I thought that I was going to take that guitar and I was going to go and start a rock band and it was going to be awesome and I would stand before millions of people and I would just rock their faces off and then I'd, I'd give a shout out to Jesus, you know, in the midst of it or the lyrics would, would be really cool talking about God, whatever. Guess what? That didn't happen. I am not a rock star. Um, I'm a middle school pastor. But... <laughs> but I'll tell you this. I've tried to remain faithful to that calling. Now, yes, that calling, in a sense, was given to me by my father. But also, my heavenly father gave me a calling into ministry. And so, yeah, I've dragged that guitar along with me. And I still use it for God's glory because I want to remain faithful in that. And truthfully, I'm really doubtful I'm ever going to be a rock star. It could happen, but I'm really doubtful. But truthfully, I'm not even praying for that anymore. I'm not concerned with that. Because I, now I recognize that God has a different plan for me. 
So remain faithful to your calling. The second one is meditate on times of great faithfulness from God from your own life. I have times that I recall back on, and I was actually talking with my daughter about this last night. She said, how can I really know? How do I know? Because there are so many other different faiths, different religions, whatever else. And one of the things that I expressed to her was this, was that there are times when God was evident in my life. Has been just like, not, not just consistent, but a great moment where it was God speaking, God moving, and there was no doubt that it was him. Couldn't be anybody else. And as a Christian, I would hope that there was some moment in your life that God would, would show himself like that. Those God moments that, that we talk about, where it's like, I, yeah, maybe right now I don't feel like I'm in a God moment, but I can look back and I can say, I have a whole row of these that I can, I can hold on to. And then the third one, don't stop praying. Zechariah certainly was, was consistent in that. We see that for sure, right? We see that he continued to pray over and over, and God responds to him directly to that prayer. Now, does that mean God's going to give you exactly what you pray for? No, because prayer, again, is humility before God, saying your way is better than mine. So you've got to trust that he's going to do what he is intending to do. But he, don't stop praying. Don't stop giving him the desires of your heart. Don't stop sharing those with him. And as you do so, he will continue to draw those back closer and closer to his desires. And then the fourth one, don't miss what God is doing right now. God is at work in the church. His Holy Spirit resides in us, right? He's, he's not in the temple anymore. You are the temple now, okay? There's no, there's no building. This is not a temple, okay? A lot of times we like to think about, this is the house of God. No, you're the house of God. How are you treating it, <laughs> Right? Like, oh, don't spill coffee on that. Well, you're the one drinking it, and you're the one who's the house of God, so, you know, it's on you. Um, but no, you, you are. You are the temple. The Holy Spirit resides in you. Therefore, he is at work in you right now. Whether you hear him audibly or not, it doesn't matter. You already have his word. And I can tell you for certain that Zechariah knew that. He recognized it, and that's why Gabriel called back to Malachi, to the book of Malachi, because he knew Zechariah knew those scriptures, He'd been studying them all his life. He knew that as soon as he said that, Zechariah, boom, oh boy, this is a big deal. And you look, Zechariah has a, a song later in that passage where he calls back on the greatness of God throughout time. So those four things. If you are struggling today, here's how to have hope in the midst of silence and difficulty. Remain faithful to your calling. Meditate on the great times of faithfulness from God in your life. Don't stop praying. And don't miss what God is doing right now. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do trust you. We look to you in our faith, or with our faith, in the midst of difficulty, in the midst of struggles, and in the midst of great times as well, Lord. Lord, we we ask that you help our hope and our faith and our faithfulness to remain as consistent as you are. God, we ask that you bring back to mind the great moments where you have worked in our lives as well as in the lives of so many other people throughout history. Help us to meditate on those things so that we can be strong in the midst of difficulty, so that we can have hope for that next coming of you, Lord, when you will show up in a great and mighty way and straighten out this world once and for all. God, I do pray for those who who are hopeless, truly hopeless in this moment, who don't yet know you, don't can't even see that hope for what it is yet. 
Lord, I pray that you will use your Holy Spirit to open their eyes to recognize that you're the only one who truly gives hope in this world. You're the only one who is worth trusting, putting their faith in. I pray that they will do that this morning. I ask this in Jesus' name.